Welcome to the Veil vale Christian Church Podcast. It's Palm Sunday and Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, Fully and Finally in His Son. Join us in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. At Veil vale Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Welcome uh, this morning. We're really glad that you're here. You know, today is uh, traditionally called Palm Sunday, and uh, I really love uh, this Sunday. And you know, today, uh, this morning, I, I want to, I want you to open up your Bible to Hebrews chapter one. Last uh, last Sunday, um, I focused on one Bible verse, which is kind of rare. We focused on the most famous Bible verse in the Bible, John 3.16, and uh, kind of walked through that. And um, we uh, pointed out that there's a couple of things that I'm going to call problematic, the word for and so, and I kind of talked through that, utilizing the New English translation um, to show uh, that this is uh, that verse is all pointing back to um, this story with Nicodemus. And so the New English translation uses um, the beginning phrase there, for this is the way or in this way, and um, how accurate that was. So today, in light of that, uh, there's, there's another place I, I want to go today, and it's in this uh, first four verses in Hebrews chapter one. And so I really, really like how the New English Translation Bible introduces this first chapter. In fact, the title of this chapter, and, and it's, it's not the Bible, it's just a title. It's just like a translator's note title, is um, God has spoken fully and finally in his son. And so I think it's really good on this Sunday, Palm Sunday, to focus on Jesus Christ and his coming as Messiah, because that is the focus of Palm Sunday, Jesus Christ coming as Messiah. And traditionally, we know this day as um, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on, on the donkey or the colt, right? And this opens up then what we call traditionally the Passion Week and all these events that lead up to Resurrection Sunday. And so um, Jesus Christ and his coming as Messiah is the focus of Palm Sunday. And then his dying to defeat sin is the focus of Good Friday uh, when he accomplished the cleansing for sins. And his resurrection and reign are the focus of Resurrection Sunday. And so I love the way all of this comes together in Hebrews chapter 1, in just these four verses. So turn in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 1, let's read the first four verses together. It says, after God spoke long ago in various portions and in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets, in these last days he has spoken to us in a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he created the world. Verse three, the son is the radiance of his glory and the representation of his essence. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. And so when he had 
accomplished cleansing for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Thus, he became so far better than the angels as he has inherited a name superior to theirs. So now, there's a lot of things here and a lot of important things. And and I want to draw them out today because I don't know about you, but there is... There are times in my life where I feel like, wow, God, you are just silent. You're not saying anything. And I need you to say something. I need you to address something. I need you to reveal yourself to me in some way. And I'm wrestling around feeling like I'm not hearing from him. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, where you're just not thinking that God is talking to you or speaking in general. And um, these verses reveal something else. They really reveal that God is not silent. He's not silent at all. It is, um, it's, it's us that's not necessarily paying attention. And so I think this is going to reveal some things today. What these two verses teach very clearly is that God's not silent. I said that, but God is not withdrawn and he's not, uh, Um, lacking in communication or communication skills, okay? He actually does and wants to communicate and connect with us. And he does it actually clearly. These verses teach us that God has spoken in two ways. Before the coming of Jesus into the world and then through Jesus coming into the world. Before the coming of Jesus into the world and through Jesus coming into the world. And so Palm Sunday kind of reveals this actually significantly. I want you to read them again, and I want you to consider these two ways God communicated just for a minute, okay? How does he communicate? Look at verse one and two. After God spoke long ago in various portions and in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets... In these last days, he has spoken to us in a son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he created the world. So before the coming of the son, it says God spoke in various portions or you could say in many times or many places. And in various ways to our ancestors, to the prophets. I want you to make note of just some things here and how God does this. And how God clearly communicates. And how he's not silent. His desire is to connect with us. That is his desire. He wants relationship with you and I. That's his desire. So he's not uncommunicative, right? He's not an idea to just think about, although lots of people think that he is. He's a person to be listened to. He's a person to be understood. He's a person to be enjoyed and obeyed. He speaks, and this is really, really important. There is a God who speaks so we can know him. He speaks so that we can love him and live for him. He does speak. God speaks, and he actually clearly communicates. 
Look at verse 1 again. We're going to focus on verse 1 and 2. Look at verse 1. I'm going to isolate it again. After God spoke long ago in various portions and in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets. This is where we get actually the assurance that God is not withdrawn and he does speak, he does communicate. This features the unsparing variety of God's communication. Now, what do you mean, Ben, by unsparing variety? Well, there's a lot of prophets and a lot of ways that he has spoken in various portions means or times or places and in various ways. This is encouraging because we all know that some of those portions and ways are hard to understand. I don't know if you've read the book of Isaiah. It's kind of hard to understand when you read it, and it's kind of hard to understand what God is saying, how he's saying it, because you've got to interpret it through Isaiah a little bit and and thousands of years before Jesus, and then you got to paw through our culture and their culture sometimes to hear God and know what he's actually saying. So if God had only spoken in one portion or one way, like just through Isaiah, I think that we'd be frustrated and um, at a disadvantage because if we could not understand him, there'd be no way to hear or understand him. So if I feel like sometimes in relationships, with friends, with colleagues, with um, work, with uh, my marriage, there's sometimes where I have to say, can you clarify that? I don't think I understand or I'm not, I don't, I, I'm not hearing you. I mean, part of the reason why we start yelling in an argument is because why? Because we don't feel like we've been heard and we want this person to hear us and so... Uh, it's like we're speaking two different languages and we get frustrated, right? If God had only spoken in one way or one portion, I think we'd be frustrated. If we can't understand him, then you're, you're messed up. There's no other way to hear him or understand. But see, that's not the way God has done it. He's done it differently than that. In many places, times, and in many ways is the way he's done it. He's spoken this way. So if you have difficulty grasping his word and the truths in Leviticus, you may hear him clearly actually in Proverbs. If you, if you don't see the point clearly in Zechariah, you may still be deeply moved by the message in Jonah. If you don't catch on um, to the strange visions in Ezekiel, and they're kind of strange, you, you, you may be encouraged in a way by the sufferings of Job. The point is this. God provides lots of possibilities and opportunities in the Old Testament where you can hear him. He's spoken and he's not silent. There's all kinds of places, many places, in many ways that he's spoken to us through the prophets. And it's pretty unbelievable how he's done this. Also, we want to get to this more appropriate and superior way now that he speaks. 
Hebrews says that God spoke in two ways, one before the coming of Jesus into the world and one through Jesus coming into the world. Look at the second half, or excuse me, look at the first half of verse two. That's why I said 2a. It's just the first half of verse two. It says, in these last days, he has spoken to us in a son. So the point here is that if God desired to communicate in the Old Testament, how much more does he want to communicate in sending us his son? How much more? What the author here, what the writer, excuse me, the writer wants us to see is that the latest communication from God is more appropriate and it's superior to all those portions and ways in the old days, in the Old Testament. So when we complain to God and and maybe a little irritated with him, Lord, we want to hear from you. I mean, you're just, you're not saying anything about this. Would you speak to us? I need to hear your voice. I need something. What would God's response be in light of these words? I want you to look at just a few ways here that God is speaking in the Son of God in these last days, at least three ways, and how it's more appropriate and how it's more superior in particular to the way he spoke in the Old Testament. First, it's by his son. It sounds obvious, but God has now spoken not just by prophets, but by his son. And this is really, uh, I think, a big deal. Verses 1 and 2 again. Here we go. Let's focus again. After God spoke long ago in various portions and in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets, in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son. I want you to notice it does not say, I like to do this once in a while. What does it not say? It does not say, formerly God spoke by prophets, and in these last days, he's spoken by apostles. Okay? That's true, and you can see that the apostles are important, okay, e- even here in, the, in these words. But the point here is that these last days, or in these last days, God has something completely different to communicate. He sent us his son. This is what is featured on Palm Sunday, the arrival of his son in Jerusalem and and the celebration and the connection there. But he is not just a prophet. This is totally different. The son of God is not just a prophet. Um, some thought that he was a prophet in John chapter 9. We'll find that out later as we journey through. We continue to journey through the gospel of John. But he's not just a prophet. If you know anything about Islam or radical Islam... Islam makes an, a, a, an enormous mistake about who Jesus is. It's enormous. Jesus is not just a prophet like Moses or Isaiah. This is what Islam believes. He is completely superior also to Muhammad in greatness. Completely. He is the son of God, and that means he is God. The son of Ben Pitney is human like Ben Pitney, and the son of God is divine like God. Look at verse 3. Focus on verse 3. The son is the radiance of his glory and the representation of his essence, 
and he sustains all things by his powerful word. And so when he had accomplished cleansing for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the point of those words is to warn us against the mistake that so many people have made and continue to make. Jesus is the unique image of God's glory, and he bears God's nature. He's not just a prophet. The whole point here is to show that he is superior to the prophets. He is eternal without beginning and without end. Why are you standing on this so hard, Ben? Well, because there is an enormous portion of the world that believes that Jesus is just a prophet, just a good teacher. Maybe you know people. Maybe you have friends and neighbors. Maybe that's who you are today. In other words, God is not just communicated by inspiring prophets and apostles. God has communicated to us by coming to us in the person of his son, Who Jesus was and what he said and what he accomplished by dying and rising from the dead is God's word to us. This is what God has said and what we should hear and what we need to listen to so much more seriously and intently than we actually do sometimes. It begs the question, have you heard the word of God in the person of Jesus? And sometimes we get going like this and we disconnect the word of God and the person of Jesus, but they are one and the same. Have you heard the word of God in the person of Jesus? You know, when we started John, the gospel of John, it's profound the way it starts, almost so profound you overlook it. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is that? Yeah. Every time you begin to complain that God is silent and that you you need God to speak to you, you got to stop yourself. I know I have to stop myself and ask, have I heard this word or am I disconnecting it? Is, is this word from God spoken in the son of God? It's, it's short and sweet and simple sometimes. And I feel like I need more. I need another word. Because <laughs> I just get distracted. I've already heard the word of God in the person and the teaching and the work of the son of God. Is the frustration in you sometimes like it is in me. Deep inside and the confusion of my mind. Really because I have exhausted hearing these words. And I need another word. Maybe you need a gracious kind of wake up call. Or a little bit of a rebuke. Because you're unperceptive and presumptuous in your hearing and listening. So the first way that the speaking of God is better in these last days than in the prophets or superior in these last days than in the prophets of old is that he has now spoken in the coming of his son. Oh, I love this. The son is appointed also heir of all things. That's the second way. The son is appointed heir of all things. Um, That the speaking of God in these last days is superior than in the former days 
is that the son in whom he speaks has been appointed heir of all things. Heir of all things. The owner of all things. He has inherited everything. Look at verse 2 again. In these last days, he has spoken to us in a son whom he appointed heir of all things. Now, why does the author add this? Why does he do it? Because he wants us to focus on the fact that the one we listen to, Jesus, the Son of God, all of his promises are good in the end. He makes them good. He does what he says. He can back it up. Why? Because he is the heir, the owner of all things. He owns everything. It's all his In the end, he will have at his disposal everything. Everything will be subject to him, all things. The writer wants us to think about this. What does it mean to listen to a spokesman for God who in the end will have under his complete control and ownership everything? Think of this. All land, all water, whether it's frozen or not. All fire, all wind, all energy, even oil. Yes, all natural resources, all nations, all military might, all buildings, all bacteria, all viruses, all angels, all demons, all spiritual and material beings. It means that he's good and can make good on all of his promises because he's the heir. He's the owner. He has inherited all things. That is profound. I need to hear that once in a while. All of it is his. If he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You ever heard that? Right out of Matthew 5. That promise is good because he will own the earth. He owns the earth and he'll, it will be under his control. So he can say that and it will be. If he says nothing in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, like he does in Romans, then that promise is secure because he owns creation and it's under his control. <laughs> If he says there will no longer be death, there won't be any mourning, there'll be no pain, like he does in Revelation 2, his promises are good because he owns life and death, and he rules it unrestricted. He rules over all pain. You see, I need to remember that and know that and believe that because he is heir of all things. Heir, by the way, before creation. In verse 2, the second half, 2b, why is the son described first as the heir of all things and then second as the one through whom he created the world? There's an order to things there on purpose. You got to focus on it a little bit to realize there's actually an order there. I might have read it differently, actually. Whom, here it is, whom he appointed heir of all things and through 
whom he created the world. Why not say first that he is the creator of all things and second that he's the heir or the inheritor or owner of all things? This is why I think it is. It's because how the story ends is more important than how the story begins. But you can't understand the true ending without understanding the beginning. Both are important. In other words, what is really at stake in my life and what is really at stake in your life is how the future goes, not how the past went. I like to focus on the past. We all like to reach back and focus on the past. You know, the good old days, right? If I have a savior who is the heir of all things and makes everything serve our satisfaction in him, then the past is important only to the degree that it helps me understand and believe and live in that truth. But it's the future where I live or not, is it not? It's the future. It's the future of your friends, your coworkers, your family. Isn't their future what's most important here and what's at stake? The fact is we can't understand Jesus as being appointed heir and owner of all things until we understand that all things were made through him. We kind of forget this. Until you know this, you might say, oh, well, Jesus was a man like us and was chosen to be exalted to some special role as heir. After all, it says he was appointed heir, right? So if he was appointed, then maybe he was not always heir and he, really, he was really adopted as a son of God rather than being the son of God eternally. That would be a really huge mistake, I think. That would be a big mistake. So the writer follows his first and primary statement that the son is the heir, the inheritor of all things with the statement through whom God made the world. So this means a couple of things. The son existed before he came to earth in the person of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. The son existed before that. And then the second thing is that the son already owned the universe by virtue of creating it with the father. In fact, verse 3 says, he sustains all things by his powerful word. Verse 3, you see it? Now, slip down to verse 10, 11, and 12. You founded the earth in the beginning. You founded the earth? Yeah. And the heavens are the works of your hands. Really. They will perish, but you will continue. They will grow old like a garment and like a robe. You will fold them up and like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will never run out. Wow, that's profound, is it not? So he created all things and he sustains and holds everything all things in his hands. How then is he appointed heir of all? I think the answer to that is that for now, a lot, so much of his creation is in rebellion against him. You can see that, right? 
And God has ordained that. But because of the son's faithful obedience, because of the son of God's death, because of the son's resurrection, these enemies will one day be a footstool for his feet. And all creation will bow down and acknowledge that they are ruled and owned by Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. You can flip just a few pages over and go through 12, verses 12 and 13. It says, but when this priest, this is Jesus, this priest, had offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God where he is now waiting until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. (laughs) In other words, Christ took his seat as the active ruling heir of all things by his worthy death and resurrection. And that's this journey to the cross and resurrection during the Passion Week that we're beginning. He not only has the right to be the heir of all things because he made all things, but because he defeated his enemies and purchased lost people from sin and through death. And sin and death through his death. That's what we celebrate during the Lord's Supper. We celebrate his death until he returns, right? So we have two reasons to listen to a son of God who is heir of all things. He is heir because he made everything. That's true. And he is appointed heir in, because he died and rose again and redeemed for himself a people, And he destroyed sin and death and Satan and everything that could make his people suffer and die. His word is good because he is God, because he is creator. And because he is the conqueror and the conquering heir over all evil and all suffering. This is superior to anything the prophets ever spoke of. In so many ways in the Old Testament. This leaves one last thing to to really acknowledge this morning about how superior God's speaking is in the Son over speaking in the prophets of old. The Old Testament is good and right and purposeful and necessary and appropriate. But Jesus is superior to all of that. (laughs) We lose sight of this so easily. We have Jesus and he speaks to us. God speaks to us through his word, through his son. Here's the third thing to acknowledge. There is no third way of speaking, actually. This word of God is spoken so fully and so finely in his son that there's going to be no other way of God speaking in history. That is what it means when it says in verse 2 again, in these last days he has spoken to us in a son. The last days begin with the coming of the son into the world, right? We've been living in the last days since the days of Christ Jesus, 
The last days of history as we know it are before the final and full establishment of the kingdom of God. The last days of war are the days after this final battle has been fought. Everyone knows who's going to win. If you read the end of the book, you can see clearly who's going to win. It's communicated from cover to cover who's going to win. It's only a matter of time. The resistance may go on for some years, but the enemy's going to lose. The days of fighting that remain are the last days of war. That's the days that we are living in. This is how it is since the Son of God came into the world. His death and resurrection, this final battle with sin and death and hell has been fought and it's been won. That's this week that we are celebrating and observing. It is only a matter of time now. These are the last days bringing his final win to all the peoples of the earth. But the point of the writer of Hebrews is this. The word that God spoke by his son is the full and final word. It will not be followed up by any greater word or replacement word. This is the word of God in the person of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and the work of Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing. When I complain, when you complain, and I don't hear the word of God, when you feel a desire to hear the voice of God and you get a little frustrated that he's not speaking in ways that you want him to, have you really exhausted this word? It's right here. Have you really exhausted this word? It's become so much, has it become so much a part of you that it shapes everything about you and it gives you life and guidance. See how important this is. That's why I get a little aggravated when you don't bring it with you. I'm trying to tear it up and help apply it to you. I want you to own it. It Has it become so much a part of you that it's shaping everything that you do? Or have you treated it lightly? And are you skimming it like you do when you read the news on the internet? Or maybe you just are a taste tester. Have you been downtown to that restaurant called The Hub? Oh, I really like that restaurant. It's good. I recommend it. It's pretty cool. It's pretty great food. You know, you can order ice cream at the end of a great meal, and it's fantastic. And The the Hub, they have a restaurant, but they also have an ice cream shop. It's actually right across the street. You don't even have to go to the restaurant. You can just go to the ice cream shop. Linda and I were downtown uh, Friday night, and we ate at a different restaurant. And then I said, you know what would taste good? That bourbon brittle ice cream that they have at the Hub ice cream shop. She said, oh, yeah. (laughs) So... So, um, so we just beelined it right there. And when we got there, I was like, oh, man, there was a big line, right? Okay, so the line went pretty good. But, that, but, but man, we just got in there just in front of this young couple, and they were kind of hipster people. And, uh, and it looked like they were having a great time. So we were in line, and then when they got up there, you know, you know how many flavors are in there, right? I don't know, like 20 
So um, they, they got the coolest taster spoons, by the way. It's an actual, it's a cool spoon. So they, looking around, you know, the, the, the names of the ice cream alone will make you go, hey, I would like to taste that. I would like to test it. So what they did was they each pick a flavor, and then they give you a big old bite of it, right? And so they were like, it, it, it was a little sickening. They were like, um, and they would each taste half of it, and then they would switch. And then they would taste it both together because they would go, you know. And then they would look at each other, and they would go, hmm, wow, wow. And then they would talk a little bit, you know, like, you know, like discussing it. And then, and then they would go, can I try? And then we would both try a different one. And so Lynn and I were, were there, and, and this happened twice. And then Linda goes, you know, I think I'll go sit down. <laughs> what she should have said was, you should go sit down. I'll wait in line. <laughs> yeah. But she was like, I'm out. I know what's going to happen here. So this went on for about 20 tests. Oh, my gosh. Even the people doing the testing or, you know, scooping it out. And they were both working so hard to get them through the line. I'm like, you know, you could skip to me. No, they didn't seem to see that option. The tasting, the testing. I feel like that's what happens sometimes. <clears throat> More than I'm willing to admit. Because I treat it so lightly, I skim it like I do the news. I dip in like a taste tester. And then I decide I want something different, something more. I think I'm guilty of this. Are you guilty of this? God is calling us to hear that he has spoken fully and finally in, in, the, in, the, in his son. And he wants us to meditate on his word and study it and memorize it and let it soak in until it saturates us to the center of our being and changes everything that we do and how we think and how we look at life. And the things and that, that we decide, if you ask, God, I believe he will reveal himself just like always because he has done this fully and finally in the person of Jesus and it's right here is right here what about the ministry of the holy spirit the holy spirit of god today turn over to hebrews chapter 2 and i'll end with this just one chapter verses 3 and 4 the holy spirit of god is real and true and as much god he is as much god as jesus and god the father god the son and god the father the Hebrew um, writer says, for if the message spoken through the angels proved to be so firm that every violation or disobedience received its just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first communicated through the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him while God confirmed their witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit of God distributed according to his will. It is the passion and the focus and the aim of the Holy Spirit of God to focus all our attention and all our affection 
on this full and final emphatic word spoken in the Son of God for these last days. That is the Holy Spirit of God's great work and the focus of all his gifts that he bestows on the believer. Today, I think there are so many people that need to be introduced to God and how he has spoken fully and finally in the person and work of Jesus. Who do you know? Who do you know that needs to understand that Jesus Christ and his coming as Messiah is the focus of Palm Sunday? Who do you know that needs to understand and know that Jesus is dying to defeat sin is the focus of Good Friday when he accomplished cleansing for sin. Who do you know that needs to understand and see that his resurrection and reign are the focus of Resurrection Sunday? I love how it all comes together in these four verses right here. God is not silent. God communicates and he wants to connect and communicate to you and I. That is his desire all along. He wants relationship with us. Father in heaven, thank you for introducing us to this. Thank you that you're not silent. Thank you that this is where we get the assurance that you're not withdrawn and that you're not distant and that you're not way up there far beyond the clouds. You're right here. You are this intimate with us and your desire is to be this intimate with us. Thank you, Lord God, that you spare no variety of ways of communicating to us. Thank you that your son Jesus is superior to any way Thank you that you did it this way. Even though we did not deserve it, I'm praying that we would go away today recharged and refocused and that we would hide this truth and your word in our hearts and our souls so that it would saturate us and change us and motivate us and inspire us and challenge us consistently, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like to know more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.